0: wives are a true blessing I say that because um I was fumbling around with my with my murse down there and I kind of chuckled and was trying to kick the the uh, strap around and bent over and moved around I looked over at Steph and kind of laughed and said I gotta get that out of my way I know I'm gonna fall and she said well it isn't your sermon title bow the knee and uh laughed with this I, I could see it in her eye she was just hoping hoping that I would hit the deck and um and have a new illustration for the sermon so anyway I uh, just had to get that out and air that out for our marriage uh, health there alright well uh, speaking of our marriage uh, 1999 was a year of change for us in 1999 I guess uh, there are parts of it that were great and you could ask Steph she may have a different perspective on it uh, because in 1999 uh, March 27th uh, we got married and so of course in my mind that's a glorious thing Steph may have a different story on that you can ask her after the service we got married in March in May I graduated from college in um, July we moved to Texas and started seminary uh, shortly thereafter my grandmother got ran over that's not a joke she really did um, and then right after that I got a call I guess it was what, a week later I got a call that my mom had breast cancer and man I, I didn't know what to do. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I remember sitting down in our bedroom in, in the back of our apartment and, and just sitting there and being without words and at a loss uh, for what was going on and why was it going on. I, I just didn't know. And, and I remember hugging my you know, wife of, what, six months, four months at that time and, and just, uh, honestly, her holding me. And I remember it was weeping and saying, I just, I just want to be there. That's all I want. I just want to be there. Um, I, I, just, I just didn't understand. And so in my mind, I was thinking, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? I, I moved to Texas of all places. <laughs> Man, Texas. To pursue your will and to study your word and to prepare to be a pastor. And now... This is how I'm rewarded. Are you serious? Is this, is this what life holds when I'm trying to follow your will? My grandmother gets ran over and my mom has breast cancer and I can't even get there because I am poorer than poor and we can't even afford the gas to drive back. <laughs> Why? Why? Hindsight's 2020. And this moment that I found myself in a crisis of belief taught me a lesson about God's providence that I would never learn in a class. It taught me to pray in ways that I didn't understand. It taught me to pray with faith. It taught me about God's providence. It taught me that that God is in control of all things and He is always looking upon His creation. His hand is always working in His creation. And that I might not understand things But he is in control, and he will work things out to the good of those who love him. It's easy to look back and see those things, isn't it? You've had that in your life. You've had those times in your life where you've gone through difficult trials. You've gone through times where you you just toss your hands up and go, God, what in the world is going on? Why is this happening? God, it's out of my control. If I could control it, (laughs) man, I would. And in those moments we cling to what we know. And the prayer that we have as pastors is that we can equip you with a deep rich knowledge of God's worth of God's word and theology so that in those moments you cling to who God is. You cling to the truths of God's character that'll ride you through that storm. The reality is, as you heard a couple weeks ago, and as you've heard through our series through Nahum, that we live in a, in a world that's filled with tragedy, filled with disasters, evil, injustice, oppression, wickedness. They're all a result of sin. Many of you have similar testimonies, or you get the call from a family member or a loved one that has passed or is afflicted with cancer or some other disease, and we struggle with those things. That's the reality of our experience. That's the reality of our of where we are. But we can't forget that in the midst of that reality, we also live in a world that is governed by a sovereign, holy creator. He is transcendent. He is completely other. He is great and mighty and beyond anything we can comprehend. But the awesome truth is not only is he transcendent, not only is he holy and beyond anything we can comprehend, but he's also imminent. He is intimately involved in every aspect of his creation so in 1999 when all this happens God has not turned a blind eye and unaware of what's going on in my life he's not going oh man wow I, I'm sorry I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that was going on I, oh, ah, I I wish I could have done something about it I, I just I, I didn't realize you kind of moved to Texas I lost track of you and, and I, I just I just kind of dropped the ball I'm sorry no We serve a a transcendent God that is imminently involved, intimately involved in the lives of His people. And so He was there with us. His presence was overwhelming to us. The truth of Philippians 4 where it says give thanks in all circumstances became very real to us when we knew the peace that surpassed understanding from our God. Habakkuk is in a similar spot Habakkuk is in a spot where he looks at the world around him and he finds himself in the middle of darkness and sin he looks around and he's, he's really in a, a dark night of the soul he's in a crisis of belief when he sees the, the, what's going on in his nation around him he sees the wickedness he sees the sin and similar to where we were in a crisis of belief where we really had to examine do we really believe that God is who? we who who we read that he says he is do I really believe that and Habakkuk faces a similar situation where he looks around he sees the wickedness and as you heard last week he he hears of God's coming judgment and he says do I really believe that and so we find in Habakkuk where he comes and, and he complains to God he expresses his complaints to God and God provides answers to these complaints and a couple weeks ago, Scott went through the first complaint with you in the, uh, the first uh, chapter there where Habakkuk turns to God and he, he says, God, you're not doing anything. How can you not be doing anything for the people around us? God, they, they're living in wickedness. They're living in sin. And God, why are you not bringing them back to faith? God, why are you not working repentance in their hearts? Why, how can you sit back and let this be? To which God answers, I'm about to do something that you cannot even comprehend. And while we like to hear that and go, man, God's going to do something great. It's beyond all all comprehension. You're never going to imagine what God's going to do. And we're thinking, oh, it's going to be just great, fantastic. God says, I'm going to do something you can't comprehend and imagine. I'm going to send the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. And uh, they're going to punish my people. That isn't at all what Habakkuk would have imagined. That's not at all what Habakkuk would have said. Hey, could could you do this? This is what I want you to do, God. See, a lot of times what we line out in in our minds what we think this is how it should happen, that's just not how God's going to work. God's ways are not our ways. Fortunately. Fortunately. So tonight we pick up in verse 12 of chapter 1 and we'll go through 2 one and what we'll look at tonight is Habakkuk's second complaint and then God's corresponding answer to that so what we want to do first is I want to read Habakkuk's complaint and we'll work our way through that and then we'll look at God's response so pick up with me Habakkuk chapter 1 beginning in verse 12 are you not from everlasting O Lord my God my Holy One we will not die you O Lord have appointed them to judge and you O Rock Have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you so silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Why have you made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? The Chaldeans bring all of them up with a hook. Drag them away with their net. And gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore they rejoice and they're glad. Therefore they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net. Because through these things their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. And I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. So Habakkuk looks around in verse 6 of chapter 1. When God answers Habakkuk, God said, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That's the Babylonian army. He says, "I'm, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, and I am sending them in to discipline my people. They will be punished. And so Habakkuk says, Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, how can you do that? Your, your eyes, they're, they're too pure to approve evil. How, how could you do this? You cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why, why? How could you look on those who deal treacherously and ignore that and use them to punish us? We're your people. How could you do that? I mean, are you really going to profit them? Are you really going to use them, God? Did I, did, I, did I understand you correctly here? They go out and they, they wage war. They cast their nets and they get the bounty of those nets and then they worship those nets. They worship their own might and their power. They boast in their own, their own might and their power. Are you really going to honor that? They rejoice and they're glad and their strength and the way they slay nations without sparing. God, they're a brutal people. They're wicked, God. They're not us. They're not your people. How could you do that? There's two truths I think we learn from Habakkuk's complaint, two truths that we can glean. Here's the first one, that our theological foundation will steady us in times of uncertainty. Our theological foundation steadies us in times of uncertainty. Look how Habakkuk starts his complaint. Read that for just a moment, verse 12. Where does he start? Who does he start with? Where does he start? You can answer. Does he start with the Chaldeans? Right. He starts with God. He, he doesn't say, man, the Chaldeans, whoa. He, he comes back, he, he kind of steadies himself, and he says, are, are you not from everlasting Oh, Lord, my God, my, my Holy One, we won't die. You, oh, Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, oh, Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. He starts with God. Do you remember September the 11th? Most of you in here do, adults. Do you, you remember the days following that? All the interviews? Everyone was, it was just kind of grasping for answers, and, and no one really had to... Ha- Seem to have a suitable one, and the reporters, of course, they you know, reporters are great at picking the the world's best people to interview in a time of tragedy. They they pick great people to interview, and they walk down the street, and people, you know, I don't, I don't know, I, well, do you think what what about God? I, I, well, we're praying. Are are you religious? No. Okay. Well, well, who are you praying? I, I'm just praying for them. Do you, you think God was there? No, God wasn't there. So God, yeah, God didn't do this. There's no way. God, God would never do this. God would never allow this to happen. God couldn't be there. God, it was out of his control. These people did something that was beyond his control. Then you heard all kinds of answers. All kinds of answers. The same thing, we were in Texas. And a gunman walks in on a seat at the pole rally with about 250, 300 kids gathered about a mile from where Steph and I lived at Wedgwood Baptist Church. A gunman walks in the back, tosses a pipe bomb out, Start shooting the kids. They think it's a skit. So they jump up and they're waving at him. And he shoots them. Thirteen people died that night. Tragedy. They're interviewing people. They're interviewing people from the church. And they're interviewing people all over. And people are going, man, this was not of God. This is something God didn't do. God was not there. God couldn't control that. The pastor, Al Meredith, they interviewed him. And Brother Al said... They they said, where was God? When that gunman walked in your sanctuary and and stained the carpet of your sanctuary with blood, where was God? I I love what Brother Al said. He he said, God was the same place that night in my church as he was the night that his son hung on the cross. There's never a time when God is not in control. There's never anything in every situation that's outside and beyond God's control. You see the differences in answers? Why is that? Why is that? This is our theological foundation. A lot of people are atheological. They don't have a theology. They don't don't have a a theology that, that is a foundation for them when trials come. And so they're grasping at straws. But Habakkuk knows who God is. Look at who he reminds himself of. He says, are you not from everlasting? He says, he, he reminds himself, God is eternal. God's eternal. Then we see that God is self-existent and holy. He says, oh Lord, my God, my holy one. Lord there, Yahweh. Oh, Yahweh, the great I am. The great I am, the, the names of God, the, especially in the Old Testament, they use different names of God to express his character and who he is. And here he says, Yahweh, I am the self-existent one. My holy one. God is holy. He will not and cannot sin. The old old question, you know, when, when you were a kid. Is there anything that God can't do? Can he pick a rock up bigger than him? All right, here it is. Verse 13. You cannot look on wickedness. Why? Because God is holy. He's holy. So we can trust that. Habakkuk says, my holy one. My holy one. I know you're holy. You can't sin. I can be confident in this God. I know that. What does that tell us? That means that in the midst of trials, in the midst of times that we don't understand, we can know who God is. We can know His holiness. We can know His goodness. And God is faithful. He says, we shall not die. That, that, that almost was the first time I read it, I was thinking, man, that's an odd statement there. Are you not from everlasting? Oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, we will not die. It's like, Really? He just said the Chaldeans are coming. That's probably not a good sign. Why would he say this? Who is Yahweh? Who is Judah? What relationship do they have? They've got a covenant relationship, don't they? God has a covenant relationship with Judah. Habakkuk can say we will not die because he knows that God has established a covenant with them. And no matter what happens and how that punishment is going to look, God is not going to wipe out his people because he's made that promise. He's established that covenant with him. God is faithful. Habakkuk reminds himself of this. We won't die. I know who you are, God. We will not die. He makes a statement about God's providence. He says, "You, you, O Lord, have appointed them to judge. The ESV says, you have ordained them to judge. You, O Rock, have established them to correct. God is mighty over them. This isn't something out of God's control. This isn't something that God's wringing his hands going, well, the Babylonians are coming, and man, they're a mighty army. I just can't do anything about it. So um, we'll do the best we can, and we'll get you through it. No, Habakkuk, looking at what's coming, says, God, you're everlasting. You're holy. You've established a covenant with us. You're faithful. And God, you've appointed them to come. You've appointed them to come. Now you've established them to correct. What a statement of faith from Habakkuk. What a statement of faith. So you see how incorrect theology and correct theology can determine how you respond to something? 9-11, Wedgwood, where was God? He wasn't there. Was it out of God's control? Sure it was. God's just not that great. That's poor theology. That's unbiblical theology. But you see biblical theology in the foundation, it sets that where was God? God was there in the midst of it. Where was God? He was with His people. Was it outside of God's control? No. I know that even in the midst of this, God is going to work all things to the good of those who love Him. Or called according to his purpose. I don't understand, but I'm trusting my God, my holy one. Theological foundation is critical. Matt preached to the youth Wednesday night. I love, absolutely love what he said. He made a statement. He said that we need to get our theology of suffering correct now, so that when trials come, you will respond in a way that glorifies God. You don't wait till trials come to figure out a theology of suffering. We get theology now so that when the dark night of our soul comes we cling to our God. We cling to our God. Keeping God's nature in mind reminds us that He is the eternal sovereign Lord of all creation who is providentially working out His plans of old. He is not a weak God who is wringing His hands and attempting to respond to unforeseen things that caught Him off guard. He is a mighty, awesome God. So truth number one that you need to glean is that a theological foundation will steady you in uncertain times. Number two, in uncertainty we must be careful to turn to God and not from God. Turn to God and not from God. As we carry on through there, what does is, what is Habakkuk do? Does he say, God, I'm out of here. I, I'm totally turning my back on you. I don't understand, I'm turning my back on you. Is that what he did? No, he, he doesn't understand, so what does he do? He turns to God. Again, our theological framework, will either, we either determine that we point ourselves towards God in trials, or we will turn our back on Him. My neighbors growing up, uh, the Flemings, had a, had a young man. I grew up out in the country, and there weren't a lot of people around, which um, at times I loved, at times I hated, and I would hit the road on my bike in the summers. Well, the only other boy on my street was named Jack, and he was uh, four, I think four or five years younger than I was. But we played. He was like a little brother to me. Man, we had a great time. The Flemings were were not believers. They weren't Christians. We were. Uh, We got along and had fun. We did some farming and stuff together and and, uh, just had a great time. Um, When Jack was a senior in high school, star of the football team, uh, Friday night ran punt return back for a touchdown, everybody's going crazy Saturday night pulled out in front of someone at red light and died the Flemings hate God they hate it, unless something's changed why? why? they don't understand who God is they don't understand and we try and try and try but they turn their back on God Because they had a false understanding of who he is. When trials come, our theological framework should drive us to God. In every situation that tests our faith, we have a choice. Are we going to turn to God or are we going to turn away from God? Consider just briefly Joseph. What did he do? He encounters difficult days. He turns to God. Consider David. Difficult situations. Look at the Psalms. What does he do? He cries out to God. Does he understand everything? No. Is it easy? No. But he turns to God in difficulty. What does Habakkuk do here? Does he understand everything? No. Is it easy? No. Does he turn away from God? No. He turns to God with difficult questions, just as Job did. God can handle your questions, God can handle my questions. Turn to God in times of difficulty Deloy Jones draws some application that I just as a side note that I wanted to share with you that you might want to jot down as he was preaching through Habakkuk he he, he taught just four areas of application when he was looking at this and how how Habakkuk responded as a method for handling difficult times and I think there's a great wisdom here so I wanted to share it with you the first thing he says is that when, when you handle difficult times, when you confront difficult times, the first thing you need to do is just stop and think. Stop and think. You know, James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Lloyd-Jones says, you need to do that. When difficulty comes, just stop and think. We, we have a tendency when difficulty comes to go, well, well, well and go off with it. We, we have a difficulty just jump and have a knee-jerk reaction. But Jones says, just stop. Just stop and think. Take a deep breath and just stop. The second thing he says is restate basic truths and principles. Restate basic truths. Remind yourself who God is. We see Habakkuk doing this. He, he, you can see him almost go, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to stop, deep breath. This is who God is. This is who I know God to be. Listen to this, this is a lengthy quote, but I want you, man, this is so clear. Listen to what uh, Jones says. He says, we must first remind ourselves of those things of which we are absolutely certain, things which are entirely beyond doubt. Write them down and say to yourself, in this terrible and perplexing situation in which I find myself here, at least is solid ground. When walking on moorlands or over a mountain range, you come to bogs. The only way to negotiate them is to find solid places on which you can place your feet. The way to get across the morasses and the places in which you're liable to sink is to search for footholds. So in spiritual problems, you must return to eternal and absolute principles. The psychology of this is obvious. For the moment you turn to basic principles, you immediately begin to lose your sense of panic. It is a great thing to reassure your soul those things that are beyond dispute. When tragedy strikes, and it will, when difficulty comes upon our homes, it's imperative that we lead our families to take a deep breath and remember who God is. To cling to those truths that we don't know what's going on, but God I know that you're good. God, I know that you are faithful. God, I know that you're sovereign. God, I know you're in control. And God, I know that you love me. God, I know that you've got a plan. I don't understand it, and I have no clue how it could work out. But God, I trust that you have a plan. I trust that. God, help me through it. Help me through it. So after doing that, Deloy Jones says the third thing you want to do is apply what you know to be true to the problem. Apply it to the problem, or frame the problem within the context of what you know to be true. you thought about framing when you frame something? If you frame a, if you have a, if you can imagine a, a giant poster up here that say is three feet by four feet, and, and you go, okay, look, what do you see? And you're describing everything in there. And so then I bring an eight by ten frame, and I go, here, boom. And you go, oh, well, I see a girl, and I see... Her mom holding hands, walking through a field. Why do you see that as opposed to everything else? Well, because it's framed. Frame the problem, frame the situation in the truths of God. Frame what's going on in the context of what you know to be true about who God is. The last thing he says is commit the problem to God in faith. Answers don't always come quickly, do they? Things are not always resolved quickly. We, we are the world's worst, I think, or, well, I won't, I won't lump you in this. I'm the world's worst at reading Scripture without any idea of time. I, I'll read through and go, okay, it took me 10 minutes to read about Joseph. That's not a big deal. I could press on for 10 minutes. It was resolved. And I think sometimes we, we fall into that where we read something. We read Job and we go, wow this is not something that happened like this today and was resolved tomorrow. Joseph didn't find himself in those situations and go, God get me through the night and he woke up the next morning and everything was resolved. Habakkuk didn't say, God what are you doing? And God said, well here it is man, oh all right, Chaldeans will be here tomorrow taken care of, Tuesday, we're good to go. Answers don't always come quickly. That's why we have the psalmist crying out, God, what is going on? God, why are the wicked prospering? Why is everything going around me, God? We must press on and commit the problem to God in faith, which leads us to God's answer. Starting in verse 2 of chapter 2. Read with me. Then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision. And inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come, it will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. But the righteous will live by his faith. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. God starts by answering and says, listen, record the vision, write it on tablets. Don't just write it on a scroll, write it on tablets. Commentators say, you know what, this alludes to the fact that this vision is so important that it needs to be enduring. It alludes back to what else was written on tablets, the law, the covenant. Write it on tablets. This is important. This isn't just... Words. These are important words. This is an important truth that you need to know, my people need to know for all generations. It needs to endure. This truth cannot be forgotten. It can't be forgotten. Verse 3, he says, The vision awaits this appointed time. Then he says, If the answer seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. What is God doing? He's reminding Habakkuk that he's, he's just simply saying that creation is progressing Along my timetable. It's going along my schedule. Not yours. You may be wanting it to happen now. You may be wanting an answer now. You may be wanting everything to be resolved in your family right now. You may be saying God deliver us. God save my kid. God come on. Do it now. Do it now. Do it now. And God's saying you wait. Wait. I'm operating on my time frame. Trust me. Just trust me. Just trust me. I'm not operating on your time frame. I'm operating on mine. We come to verse 4. Most commentators say this is the the content of what God has been speaking of. He says, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. He is pride-filled. He is governed by pride. His soul is not right within him. What does that mean? He, there is no salvation for the proud. But the righteous will live by his faith. The ri- righteous will live by faith. God doesn't just say, hey, listen, here's the answer. Right here. God says the righteous are going to live by faith. All this going on about you, everything that's happening, you don't understand. The righteous live by faith. The righteous live by faith. God calls Habakkuk to a deeper faith and trust in him. The reality is that trials in our life deepen our faith. God uses those to deepen our faith in him. Man, my faith was so much deeper. Two years later in 2001 when we moved here, my nephew had an aneurysm and Steph's grandmother was, her torso was consumed by cancer. Man, we handle that completely different than we did two years before. Why? Because God used trials in 1999 to deepen our faith and prepare us for what would happen in 2000. Well, us 2002. Man, praise God for what He took us through in '99. Praise God for that. He taught us to live by faith. Habakkuk 2:4 is quoted three times in Scripture. Paul quotes it in, in Romans 1.17 and Galatians 3.11. And then the writer of Hebrews quotes it in 10.38. In Galatians and Romans, it focuses on justification by faith. In Hebrews 10, it's focused on how the justified live by faith. Both aspects are present here. I it think contextually, it, kinda, it, it really calls us to live by faith, that the justified, that God's people live by faith. Just a dozen Hebrews. Turn there really quick. Hebrews 10, 37 and 38. Or I'll just read it to you if you don't want to flip over there. Hebrews 10, 37 and 38. Listen to what, um, what the author of Hebrews says. We'll start, actually. We'll back up to 36. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while... He who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Listen, we are not those who shrink back. We are not those who meet difficult times and go, God, we can't handle it. God, we don't know what to do. We're going to turn our back on you. We are his people And we cling to Him because we know Him. He has saved us. He has called us according to His purposes. And we trust the promises of Scripture. We know He is holy. We know He is good. We know He is faithful. So we may not understand the situations, but we know who God is. And we will ever trust Him. We don't shrink back. Judgment was coming in the day. It was coming. And God says, you persevere. You don't shrink back from destruction. Live in faith. You can await the judgment of the Lord and live in faith because you know who holds your soul. You know that you're not only saved by faith, but you live by faith. We walk by faith, we trust God to providentially work out His plans. The righteous will live by faith. We, we so talk about just faith, justification by faith, and we should. That's the foundation of the gospel. But in the midst of that, we can't say we're justified by faith and then not live by faith. This life we live, we live by faith in the Son of God. So we daily walk trusting Him. Friends, we will not ever understand everything. We will never know all of God's plans. But God has revealed who He is to us. And He has taught us that we can trust Him. Last, last Sunday, the choir sang Bow the Knee. Matt and, uh, Matt and Amy are going to come up and close us out with this. As we sat and listened to, to the choir sing that, and, and I, I reflected, on I couldn't help but think of our study in Habakkuk. I couldn't help but think of the truths that we read. The, the message of the song is, God, when, when, when I don't understand everything going on around me, and when I can't see what you're doing, I'm going to bow my knee. I, I, I'm going to bow my knee and, and seek you in prayer. Habakkuk didn't under, understand everything. But Habakkuk knew and had the wisdom to remind himself of who God was so that he could properly frame the situation in the context of God's plan. So I hope tonight as they sing this and play it, I just want to encourage you to listen, to reflect on the truth of God's word tonight and the message of the song in light of whatever is going on in your life, or whatever tomorrow holds listen with me on this